0: Just to kind of let you guys in on just where things are at uh, for this series still standing, um, I kind of held this sermon uh, out of planning, uh, knowing that we would be going to uh, Chicago for our conference and also just been spending a lot of time sort of praying about the future of our church. And, you know, five years is like a good time for you to like stop and think Well, like, where are we going and what is the plan here? And sometimes I think um, people are just like, hey, I want you to define the next 10 years of this place and I want you to give me a five-year plan and a 10-year plan and I want you to kind of just write out, figure out exactly where this church is going to go and what it's going to look like. And, um, you know, if I had done that when we started this church, there's no way I would have had us here, right? Like, there's no way I would have thought this is where we will be right now. Um, and so there's this weird uh, sort of tug and, and sort of pull from God where it's like, my heart wants to think future-oriented and wants to plan for where we, we think things will go. Uh, but also, I want to kind of respect the idea that, like, we're not in control of anything ever, right? Uh, life sort of seems to be throwing stuff at us the last couple of years, and in a weird way, five years feels like we survived five years. Me and Megan are always joking about how five years feels like it was like instant, like it was like five days, but also feels like 50 years. So like, I think it may have aged me 50 years uh, being your pastor for the last five years. That's on you guys, by the way. So, um, so I've just been thinking a lot and praying a lot and just kind of asking the question. I think really getting to this question was actually a lot of work. Um, but just asking, okay, so if we're just a, the same church for the next, let's call it 10, 15, 20 years, whatever, for the same church for these next 10, 15, 20 years, would I be satisfied with what God's doing in this community? And I don't mean just in this community, I mean in our community. And I kind of would wanted to get to the question of like, what does it look like? for us to make a difference in the lives of every person in our area? So in the Moundsview, New Brighton, Spring Lake Park, uh, Shoreview, sort of the the Moundsview school system, what does it look like for a church to make a difference in everybody's life in that entire community? So that was a question I started asking myself. Um, And... You know, I think we're going to have a couple of opportunities over here over the next year or two to take some really bold steps and to really step out and go for some really big stuff. And I was just asking the question, God, like, is this what you want from us? Where are you guiding us? But I'm not satisfied with just having a little insular community. And I'm, I'm not saying this is you. Just, Just hear me out. I'm not trying to offend you. I'm not satisfied with us just having a little insular community where we just do church and go through the motions together. I would rather blow this thing up and push everybody a little bit and go for something huge to make the difference in the lives of the community around us, to really be a kind of organization that affects the community around us. And in some ways, we've done that in the first five years. I would say that if you talk to our our partners in the community, all of them would say, "Man, we love that church, and if they didn't exist, we would feel it tomorrow." I think that Ralph Reeder would say that. I think Quincy House would say that. I'm pretty sure the community center would be devastated if we decided that tomorrow we we're just going to be done doing church. Like th- we've made a difference in the lives of these organizations, but I feel like there's so much more, and I'm not satisfied. I'm just there's something inside of my heart, my soul, like there's a bigger thing, there's a more impact that we can make, and I think we can make the difference in the lives of everyone, and so I was just sort of fighting through that, and fighting through some big choices, and some big decisions that are upcoming, and some things that I really, uh, I'm excited about, but also scared by, right, and there'll be things that I'll start to talk about once we get to that point, but like those kinds of decisions, and those kinds of things uh, that we could be looking at in the future, are things that would not be okay allowing for status quo. We would have to change. We would have to grow. We would have to get out of our comfort zone. It would be, it would be tough, but it would be a challenge worth taking on. And so, today, I just, I really wanted to share just again. I, I feel like we have, we have our our, our um, documents that make us a church. We've got our values. We've got our um, theology statements, all that stuff's buttoned up and it's there. It's there because it needs to protect the church. It needs to be sort of like uh, guardrails on a highway that keep us on the road. But I really wanted to talk a little bit more about the heart behind our church and where I hope we go, where I hope we go, okay? And so today I'm going to be sharing from a story, and this probably this story has affected me more as a pastor. This interaction that Jesus had has affected me more as a pastor than almost any other story in all of Scripture. And it's in John chapter 4. If you want to follow along, you can open up your Bible to John chapter 4. Somebody could call out the page number for the Bibles that are on the chairs. Whoever wants to be the champion of sword drills. Anyone? John chapter 4. 9.14. 9.14. So if you're trying to get there, there you go. 9.14. You can follow along with me. I'm going to start with verse 1. And Jesus is traveling, you'll see in a minute here, from one area to another and goes out of his way to go to a place that would have made all of the disciples uncomfortable. It would have put everybody in a weird spot. would have made them all feel like they were a little bit out of their, their element. And that's one of the things where the reason why I'm gravitated to this story, because as a leader, I know that we're going to have to do this as a church if we want to grow and if we want to move to the next thing that God has for us. And if we want to say yes to the opportunities that he has for us, we're going to have to go to uncomfortable places, and we're going to have to get out of our comfort zone, and we're going to be forced to be in situations where we can either honor God, and we can kind of lean into that tension, or we can kind of pack it up and decide we don't want to do that, and we'd rather live in comfort. Okay, so here we go, chapter 4, verse 1. Uh, now Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that he was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John, although in fact it was not Jesus who uh, baptized, but his disciples. So he left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. So on the way from Judea to Galilee, there's multiple ways that you can go. And just trust me when I tell you, the way that Jesus goes is out of the way. It doesn't make any sense for him to go the way that he would go. Jews didn't travel the route that he was going to travel with his disciples. He does it on purpose. He is messing with his disciples. So just understand, he's messing with his followers. He's saying, I'm going to push you. I'm going to ask for more from you. I'm going to get you out of your comfort zone. I'm going to expect a little bit more from you, and I'm going to put you in uncomfortable positions to see if the teaching that I've been teaching you guys, if it's taking if it seems like it's making sense, if it seems like it's going to work. And so he takes them out of the way, on the way from Judea to Galilee. It says now he had to go through the uh, Samaria. And he didn't. That's the funny part about this. If you're reading this and you know the landscape and you are in the first century, you're like reading this and you're going, no, he doesn't have to do this. He does not. So he goes out of his way to Samaria. And Samaria, you, you need to understand, it's like, um, it's a little bit like, I can't figure out if it's like more like Iowa or Wisconsin. Like Samaritans are like the enemies of the Jews. They're half-breeds is what they would call them. They're half Jewish and half whatever whatever it was in the area that kind of intermingled when the Jews were taken into captivity. They intermingled with the people that moved back into that area. So a lot of the times they're half. They're people that had uh, that had. Conquered the Jews and taken them out in captivity and half Jewish, they're kind of sellouts as what the way the Jews look at them. They're kind of half breeds. That's the way the Jews look at them. So the, there's this, there's this looking down at these people and this like animosity between the two. And they argue over, uh, which will become part of the conversation in a minute. They argue over where you got to, you're going to be able to worship God. They, the Samaritans would worship God in the mountains in the high places, and the Jews would worship God in the temple. And they argued over that, and so it even came to the point where the Samaritans had like a little mini war with the Jews, and they came down, and they defiled the temple, they brought dead things into the inner, into the outer courts of the temple, defiled it, and then there was like a little battle, a little skirmish that happened between the Jews and the Samaritans. They're always fighting each other, they're enemies, they don't like each other, the Jews look down on the Samaritans, the Samaritans have a complex, because of it, it's bad. You know, the stuff that we're seeing in the Middle East, it's not new. People have hated each other for thousands of years. It's complex. It's difficult. Nobody's right. Nobody's wrong. Everybody is somewhere in that gray area of being right and wrong at the same time. It's terrible. Okay, so that's the situation that Jesus is bringing He's bringing them into foreign territory, into the enemy's area. And he's saying, I'm gonna take my disciples this way. Let's just see what happens. Let me just throw them into a little bit of uh, let's push them into a little bit of an uncomfortable place. Let's see, see how they respond. And they don't, they don't respond very well. Sorry, you're going to get a little squeed, squeal out of me every once in a while here. I apologize. So it says, Now they had to go through Samaria. They came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about, about noon. Okay, So they've traveled all the way to this area in Samaria. And there's this old well that was Jacob's well. Now, it's interesting that it's Jacob. You can go back, but Jacob essentially went into the area to find a wife and hung out at the well and got to know people. There's a social component to wells back in the day where like, you would like, introduce yourself to the community. You'd go down to the well and kind of hang out and kind of get to know people. That's where everyone would come at least once a day to get, come and get water so you knew you could meet some people and get comfortable make some connections. right? So there's a social component to the well. There's still a social component to the well in Jesus' day. Now, why is Jesus the only one there, right? The disciples are going into town to grab food, and there's nobody else at the well. Why? Why is that? Because, I don't know, how many of you guys have lived in a desert climate before? When do you go inside and stay inside? Middle of the day. You don't go outside in the middle of the day. You don't want to do hard labor in the middle of the day. You take, like, a nap in the middle of the day. you like, hey, I'm going to turn things off from, like, 11 to 2. I'm just going to make sure that, you know, we don't... Get our skin melted off in the middle of the day. We live in an arid climate. This would be okay. So, like we're Minnesotans, this would be like how we don't go outside from like 2 a.m. to 4 a.m. in the middle of winter. You don't want to be outside in the dead of night in the middle of winter. It's really, really cold. Really stinking cold. If you get into a uh, your car breaks down or you get into a car accident in the middle of the night. Like and you're isolated enough, you could be in some danger. You're hoping to pull some blankets out of the back of the car and hang in there until the sun comes up, right? Like, you don't go outside when it's that cold, or you do and you're stupid. Don't don't do that. I sent my mom a picture this morning. I said, hey, we're excited to see you. We're ready for you. She's coming uh, in a week or two to visit for a couple days. And I sent her a picture of the snow just to mess with her. You know, (laughs) hopefully it'll be gone tomorrow or the next day. I don't know. Maybe not. So, you don't want to be out at this well in the middle of the day. You don't want to be out in the, in the hot, arid uh, desert in the, at noontime hour. And it says, When a Samaritan woman, woman came up to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into town to buy food. So it makes it clear that Jesus is the only one there, and the Samaritan woman is the only one there. There's just the two of them hanging out at this well. And we know why. We know why people, as we read the story, we know why she would be there in the middle of the day. There's like a very important reason that she's the only one there in the middle of the day because people didn't go there in the middle of the day. And if she's choosing to go there in the middle of the day, she's choosing to go there alone. She's choosing to not be around people. You might be an introvert. This is more than just being an introvert. Okay? This is more just saying, hey, I hope I don't run into a bunch of people that want to talk to me at the well. This is saying, I don't want to run into anybody at the well because I don't want to be around anybody. There's a reason why. You'll see that she's kind of an outcast in society. and She's choosing to go to this well when there will be no one there, so that way she can draw water and be left alone and not deal with the judgment that would have come being in the situation that she's in. So Jesus is sitting there with this woman who has a reputation, who's there in the middle of the day on purpose to be alone, and Jesus begins to talk to her. He's not supposed to do this. He's not supposed to talk to her. He's not supposed to give her any dignity, which he does here. He's not supposed to ask her for anything. She's a Samaritan. She's a woman. She has a reputation. And he's not supposed to talk with her. There are people that the world tells you, don't touch, stay away from. Don't be in conversation with. Don't associate with. Jesus never let the culture... Tell him who he was allowed to have connections with. If his disciples were there we'll see this in a minute there's no way that Jesus is going to be able to have this conversation with her, but because they're alone, Jesus can talk with her, give her dignity, engage her, have a conversation with her. He treats her in such a way that there is no boundaries between the two of them. Now like I know. We're talking about, like, okay, we have our theology statement, we have our value statement. I know that's the heart of what we're doing here as a church. Like, the heart of what we're doing here as a church is to break boundaries and to engage people who probably are weirded out by the church engaging them, probably don't reflect great if you have a church full of them. It's like, for me, those are the people that I'm dying to get into contact with. Or to get into a relationship with or to reach out to or make a difference for. Like I think we have an opportunity in this community to reach into some communities that other churches aren't reaching and make a difference in their lives. Like when we walk through this building the first time, as I was kind of like dreaming and praying about the idea of a church being in here, you know, and I have a I can see things, right? I walk into a building, I walk into a room, I can, I can see an environment. So I walk in here and I can see that a church could be in this room, right? When I walked in here the first time, it was set up with tables, but I could feel kind of the way this would look with a church in here. And I walked out this door, and I walked over there, and there's a corner back there with a window. And I look out that window, and that window looks out on all of the apartment buildings, right? There are apartment buildings. There are mobile home communities. There are regular people right out that window. I know Ralph Reeder is serving tons of people from those communities to make sure that they have food to eat every single week. I know that there's need. I know there's Section 8 housing in those sections of housing in Moundsview. I understand that there's a community of people here that we have a chance to reach and meet. It's one of the reasons why we do the Community Resource Fair. It's one of the reasons why we do Operation Joy. It's one of the reasons why we work with the, the community partners that we work with because we want to make a difference in those people's lives. Right, People who have physical needs. We want to actually be there, step up, and stand in those places. And that's what Jesus does here. He speaks to this Samaritan woman that he's not supposed to speak to. And he reaches through the barriers between them and breaks those barriers down. It says, When the Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? And his disciples had gone into town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. How? Can you ask me for a drink? She knows it will make him unclean if he even uses the vessels that she uses to drink from. That's how ridiculous the law was for the Jews at that time. If he even drinks from her vessels, it will make him unclean. And he says, hey, can I have a drink? Hey, can you, can you draw some water for me? The Samaritan woman said to him, you're a Jew and I'm a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it was who asked you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. This is uh, Jesus' juke number one. Okay? This is, Jesus does this with people. Right? They start some sort of conversation and he kind of goes, Wah. That was really pathetic. With... <laughs> he, he jukes. He doesn't allow the conversation to get off the rails. He says, uh, I got an answer for everything. She's like, hey, why are you even asking me for water? If you drank from my, you'd be defiled. Like, there's no way that we can even be in this conversation right now. I would prefer it if you would just leave me alone. And he says, hey, if you knew the water I could give you, you'd ask me for a drink. Like, she's like, what are you talking about? Like, she's thinking still physical. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water and are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us this well and drank from it himself, as did also his sons and his livestock? He, she says, hey, you know, we do have a common past, and so I'll maybe, maybe make the connection here, but you, you have nothing to draw water from. And by the way, there's no such thing as water that I could drink and not be thirsty again. And by the way, I would take that, because then I wouldn't have to come here every single day and deal with these busybodies who want to talk about me. Like She's actually like, hey, if you got water that I could drink and not be thirsty again, I will take that. Go ahead and give it to me. but you don't have anything to draw from, and you don't, she's thinking physical still. And Jesus is Jesus juking his way into a spiritual conversation. and I want you to know that when we come in contact with people who are, they're thinking physical needs, we have to somehow find a way to take the physical conversation, the physical needs that are being met, to a spiritual place. Right? We have to somehow take the conversation going from all this sort of physical stuff, right? The, the food, the, the, the needs that you have into a conversation about your spiritual life as well. Yeah, sure. If you're fed, that's great. And if you have something to drink, that's fine. If you have a place to live, that's, that's amazing. We have to get through the physical needs of people before we're going to be able to have a conversation about the gospel. But your spiritual needs are just as important as your physical needs. So yes, we want to be the kind of church that provides people those physical needs when they, when they have them. But also, we want to take it to a spiritual place. That's what Jesus does. The woman said, sir, give me the water, that I won't get thirsty, and, and I don't have to keep coming back here to draw water. He told her, go call your husband and come back. Jesus, he reads her mail. This is Jesus' juke number two, right here. She said, I have no husband, he replied, she replied. She's like, he doesn't obviously know who I am. Jesus said to her, you are right. You say you have no husband. The fact is, you've had five husbands. And the man that you now have is not your husband. What you have just said is quite true. Jesus, again, turns the conversation back to spiritual and says, hey, I get it. And I want you to understand, you could read this and you could think that that Jesus is almost like picking on her. And you would be getting that totally wrong. Jesus is laying bare her life situation so that he can have the conversation with her about where her heart is at. Look, he is moved with compassion by the fact that there is a person here who has absolutely no power at all, cannot own land, won't be taken seriously, and it's clear that she has survived by bouncing from man to man because that's the only way she can survive, and that community. It's to have a man who can own land and make sure she gets fed and takes care of her. So she has survived with no power in this community and felt like an outcast and an afterthought in in that place. And Jesus is meeting her and he's saying, hey, you matter to me. You may not matter in this world, this community here, but I want you to understand I know every intimate detail of your life and I still love you, and I still want to be in relationship with you, and I'm still engaging you, and I'm treating you with dignity, and I'm meeting you where you're at, yes, but I'm going to push through the barriers here and have a conversation with you to make sure that you understand that the Messiah didn't just come for rich people and for powerful people and for the people who are in control. He came for everyone. Those of you who are suffering, those of you who have no power, those of you who don't have your physical needs met, those of you who are surviving, and who are getting kicked every single time you turn around by the community that you live in, who are outcasts, I'm here for you. Validates her and gives her dignity. Like, I don't know how that would look if we actually were able to do that. Like, if we were able to meet people and give them dignity and push through the barriers between us and be able to treat them in a way that they understood that God loved them intimately and knew all the details of their lives, what that would do for the community around us. I know that that would change some people's lives. They came in contact with this God who cares about them and this gospel that is for them, even though they feel like the rest of the world is kicking them at every turn. So Jesus breaks through that conversation. He says, I know. I know who you are. I get where you're coming from. I understand your situation. Sir, the woman said, I, I can see that you are a prophet. And I, I, there's just it, it, this takes me to um, kind of a, another kind of piece of what it means to be the church that we are, or kind of the heart behind what we're doing. And it's, it's in John chapter 1, verse 14, where it says, it's talking about, John chapter 1 is talking about how Jesus came into the world, that he, he literally put on flesh, that he Emmanuel, God with us, that he stepped into our world and became one of us. He moved into our neighborhood. That that Jesus himself stepped out of heaven and into this earth. And you know, John chapter 1 is, you know, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, the Word was God, the word, and everything was made through the Word, and there was the light that came into the world, and it's talking about Jesus. And then there's this, there's this beautiful little phrase in John chapter 1 that I just, I can't Stop thinking about. When I'm thinking about interacting with people who are, you know, different than me or there's barriers between us or I'm not sure how we're going to connect, John chapter 1, verse 14 is what, what you're looking for to kind of guide that conversation. It said The Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. And we have seen His glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father. Jesus came from the Father and it says He came full of grace and full of truth. And when we're talking about dealing with people who, you know, there's barriers between us, there's physical needs in the, the situation, that we're, they're not somebody that we can connect with easily, or we're trying to figure out what it looks like to connect with them, we have to start with grace, and we have to finish with truth. It says Jesus came full of grace and full of truth. And by the way, he didn't come... With a balance of grace and truth. Like, if we're doing grace right, we should be uncomfortable. And if we're doing truth right, we should be uncomfortable. And I've seen churches where they're all they're all truth, and they just hit you in the face with the Bible over and over and over until you decide that they are correct, right? And you have to decide that you agree with the theology statement of that church, and that is the only thing that matters. And now become a member of this church and give us all of your money and we will continue to hit you in the face with the Bible until, yeah. And then I've seen churches that are all grace and they just say, come as you are. Just come, come as you are. And I'd say, come as you are, for sure. Come as you are. Come, bring your baggage, whatever it is you got going on in your life. Man, things are messed up, so what? Come, come be part of what's going on here. Come join a group. Come be part of what you're welcome here. This is a place for you. Absolutely. I don't care if you fit the mold, if you look Christian or if you act Christian. I don't care. I don't care. You're welcome. But I'm not going to leave you alone. Here comes the truth. You need Jesus. And Jesus is going to change a whole lot of your life. And if there are things in your life that you don't want to deal with, you don't want to talk about, they're non-negotiables, I'm sorry, but I'm just going to keep poking those places. And that's just how it's going to be. Cause we believe in a full measure of grace and a full measure of truth. Yeah, we'll wrap our arms around you and welcome you in, but also we will tell you the truth because we love you. There's a full measure of grace and a full measure of truth. That's what that's what Jesus is doing here. He's saying, Hey, God loves you. I'm gonna add some dignity to the conversation here. I'm gonna treat you like a person. I'm gonna treat you like, you know, like, like we're the same. And yet, I'm going to share with you the truth. She says, Sir, I can see you're a prophet. Our ancestors worshipped on the mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is Jerusalem. So what she does here is she goes, I'm feeling uncomfortable. Let me change the the topic here, and let me throw in a nice Facebook argument, and I'm going to make a claim, and then I'm going to let you argue, and then we're going to get disconnected, and I'm going to walk away from this. And she's probably done this a thousand times as a way to protect herself in an awkward situation where someone is talking to her about something that she doesn't want and she just goes, I know I can throw a hot button topic in here and we can end this conversation right now. I can offend Jesus and he'll walk away. Good luck, Jesus juke number three. He's He's not letting her do that. He's not getting sidetracked by the stupid arguments that don't mean anything. Like, I wish Christians would care more about lost people than they care about winning stupid arguments that mean nothing. We're online fighting some sort of battle on social media. Turn it off. Go meet a person, go share the gospel with them, go tell them about Jesus. Don't Don't let the stupid arguments derail the gospel's importance in this person's life. The transformational opportunity that you have. Don't win the argument. You win the argument, you lose the person. Win the person, forget the argument. Jesus goes, hey, yeah, we could argue all day about Jews and Samaritans, sure. We could argue all day about how we've been fighting for generations. We could argue all day about how we should hate each other. We could argue all day about these things. But that's not how this is going to go. Jesus shook number three. Woman, Jesus replied. Believe me, time is coming when you'll worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. And we worship what we do know for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For they are the kind of worshippers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshippers must worship in spirit and truth. And you know what's beautiful about this? He says, hey, you know when Jacob had this well, there was no, there was no temple. And yet he worshipped. We're going to worship wherever we are. And you know what's interesting? In AD 80, the temple is going to be destroyed brick by brick by the Romans. They're going to lo- the Jews are going to lose their place where they're able to... Right now, on the Temple Mount, is a completely different structure that's been built since Romans destroyed the Temple. So the, the, the location is not important. Jesus is saying it's going to be people who worship in spirit and truth, who follow God with their heart, who care about His creation, who love people, who are going to worship in spirit and in truth. He says we have this in common and this God is not going to leave you behind and you can worship him in Samaria you can worship him in high places in low places you can worship him in the temple or not in the temple you can meet in a community center you can meet in a church doesn't matter if there's a steeple on the roof right the church is not a building thank God there's so many people their idea of what it means to follow Jesus is so connected to a stupid building They sit empty all week long, and they cost a million dollars to have. And all the money, the fundraisers, everything is going back into creating the building. And they expect the community to come to them. So we got this big building, and now we're just going to have the community come to us. Does the community come to your church building when they're not church people? No. So all you do is collect more church people. Like, I just refuse to be that kind of place. We don't have a church building. We're not expecting the community to come to us. We're going to go to them. That's why we're going to do the, the resource fair. It's why we're going to do Operation Joy. It's what we're going to do. We're going to go to the community. And I love this. This Just, just that his disciples returned and were surprised to find him talking with this woman. The message version is fantastic. It's like, They were flabbergasted by the fact that, I'm making that word up, but they they were just blown away by the fact that Jesus would even talk to this woman. And as soon as they show up, she realizes very quickly uh, they're not the same as him. And look at the next thing it says. Uh, They were surprised to find him talking with this woman, but no no one asked, what do you want? Or why are you talking with her? So, Everybody was awkward about it. Everybody was passive-aggressive. Probably their faces told her she's not welcome to be near Jesus, right? And she gets the message very quickly. Then, leaving her water jar, the woman went back to town and said to the people, come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? They came out of the town and made their way toward him. So she just takes off and leaves her water right there. And understands I'm not welcome. These guys are not here for me. Like they do not agree with this guy that I am worth having a conversation with. So I'll go back and try to reach out to these other people. Meanwhile, the disciples argued. Rabbi, I eat something. But he said, "I have food that you know nothing about." And the disciples said to each other, could, "Could someone have brought him food?" Actually, the the chosen is really funny. If you watch the if you've ever watched the chosen, go watch this scene because at the very end of the conversation, one of the disciples goes. <laughs> Where'd you get food? (laughs) Like, He's very confused by the idea that Jesus... And then Jesus goes on to have a conversation with them, and he's like, you guys are missing it. You walked up here, and you saw this woman, and you thought, disgusting. You missed it. Like, it just hit me like a ton of bricks. And, you know, the, the danger for me when I read a passage like this is for me to be, I'm Jesus. And I've got disciples that I need to make sure that they... When they come in contact with the woman at the well, they understand. Right? Like that's the danger when I read this is I read myself into Jesus. You may find yourself doing this, by the way, when you read yourself. You know, oh, I'm the I, I'm like Jesus. This one. you know. I everybody else is doing this wrong. No, I'm one of the disciples too, and I feel uncomfortable sometimes too. And when you're doing grace correctly, you should feel uncomfortable. It pushes you beyond what you're comfortable. With, when you're giving dignity to people when you're having conversations with them when you actually care about what's going on in their lives when you want to meet those physical needs so that you can have conversations with them about spiritual needs when you understand that this church could make so much more of a difference in this community if we figured out how we could affect everyone's life in this school system that we're serving in I mean, it would take huge steps to make the difference in the lives of the people around us, and it would push us way out of our comfort zone. But I just kind of feel like, what are we doing this for? Why are we getting together? And why are we getting together in small groups? And why are we worshiping? And why are we doing all this? Are we doing this just so that we can come here on Sunday morning and, and feel good about ourselves? And, you know, like... I don't want to do that. Like, if that's what we are, I'm out. And if all of us are being transformed by this gospel that reaches into every person's life, and if we start reading this story and not seeing ourselves as Jesus, or even the disciples, but seeing ourselves as the Samaritan woman... I think that's when we start to really break through and understand, like, I need grace. I need truth. I need Jesus to cut through it with me. And I know he needs to use me to reach other people and cut through with them. And that's what our church should be focused on. If we're, if we're thinking about what our legacy is, and I'm, I know we're only five years in, somebody has to do this, so it's my job. We're thinking about what our legacy is. I would much rather in 20 years or 30 years from now say we poured ourselves into this community. What do we have to show for it? People's lives that were changed. As opposed to we poured ourselves into building a giant building and making sure that we amused enough Christians on Sunday so we can make the budget. I'm not doing that, and I'm not playing that game. I would rather go down trying something, going for something that will change the world around this church, where people will say, hey, I don't know exactly what the story is with Jesus, but I know that without those people at that church, this community wouldn't be the same. But like, to me, that's what I want to hear. That's the stories that I want to hear. That's where I want this to go, yeah, so we've built up a couple people and we built up some community. Now we spend those resources into our community to reach and make a difference in the lives of people who have no dignity, who feel like outsiders, who don't feel like they fit in a church. Like, I think that's what God's calling us to. And that might make you feel very uncomfortable. I hope, actually, that it does. The disciples at this point did not, did not get it they talk to the Samaritan woman or get in her presence for like three minutes and she runs away knowing that she's not welcome. Jesus has called us to reach into the lives of people who are on the outskirts, who don't feel like they fit, who don't necessarily have all the dignity in the world, who feel like they're barely hanging on, who are powerless. I mean, this is who Jesus reached. He reached, by the way... If you, you think about the people that Jesus was the most full of grace for, and I, I have to wrap it up because otherwise our children are going to kill their teachers. But <laughs> if you if you think about the people that God had Jesus had the most amount of grace for, think about this. It was women, it was the poor, it was the unclean. It was his enemies. It was the uneducated. It was people suffering injustice. Who did he have the least amount of grace for? Religious people. I think God has given us an opportunity to make a difference in this world. And I don't know about you, but I'm going to push us to go for it. And if that makes you feel uncomfortable, I understand there are a thousand other churches who will amuse you. Let me close this in prayer. Jesus, don't let us be content with being comfortable and being amused. God, would you just Help us to continue to pursue the world around us. To love the way that you love. To treat people with dignity and respect and honor and love. and To serve. God, would you help us to see the needs all around us, everywhere around us. Would you allow, as each of us grows in our relationship as disciples, that this church would continue to grow and that we would lean into the opportunities that you've given us here in this community. God, help us to take this to another level. Help us to reach every person in this school system. God, help us to have the reputation of the people who love them the way that you do. And I pray, God, that we would see your path forward, and that we would be bold and follow you. In Jesus' name, amen.